This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Plenty to get to as the Badgers hit the field for the first time of fall camp today down in Platteville. We were there. We'll recap it. If you haven't already, we certainly would appreciate you subscribing to our YouTube page. If you're looking for video from today's uh, practice, you can find it up there. We'll also have some video uh, as part of the uh, episode up on YouTube as well. And we appreciate everybody that's listening, too. We're not going to forget about you. There's nothing really changing. It's just that you can watch it as well. And we'll have uh, some video that maybe you wouldn't see anywhere else uh, on the uh, on the YouTube show. So, uh, Jesse, plenty to get to here today. As I said before, really excited uh, to get down and see some football for the first time. Unfortunately, I think maybe we need to start with some of the guys that were not on the field because uh, we got to camp. And we had heard maybe a little bit of uh, rumblings around this, but Clay Cundiff, Jack Eschenbach, no longer with the team. Yeah, we learned from a school official that they had uh, left the program voluntarily. Again, that's the word from the school. And this is certainly surprising news when you consider at least what I thought they would be able to offer in this new offense. We saw Jack Eschenbach during spring practice. He was one of four tight ends that the Badgers rolled through with the first team group. Generally, I think there were second team reps, but he had the most receptions on the team from that position group. And then Clay Cundiff, who had battled season ending injuries each of the last two years. We didn't have a chance to see him doing full team activities in the spring, had been working his way back from a broken leg. I thought that he was going to be the number one tight end when all was said and done because of how well I thought his skill set fit into what Phil Longo wanted. An excellent blocker, very versatile, a solid pass catcher. But now Wisconsin doesn't have either of those guys and has to move on with a group that, at least statistically, has not put out a lot. You look at Hayden Rucci has six receptions for 75 yards with a touchdown that he had in the bowl game. JT Seagreaves caught one pass for three yards in that game. And you've got other guys who have not proven it out on the field. And I'm sure we can get into who the candidates are, but certainly big news for Wisconsin to not have Eschenbach and Cundiff, two guys that going into the season you thought would be among the leaders in that tight end position room. Yeah, Eschenbach came back for his sixth year and decided uh, not to use it. Um, and obviously Clay Cundiff dealing with the injuries that he dealt with to go through that and then obviously not be able to uh, – get all the way back and be able to play unfortunate for Clay Cundiff, who uh, certainly has gone through a lot the last two years. That said, they are gone and, you know, other guys are going to have to fill in. And in this first practice, much like the spring we saw, it was Riley Nowakowski. It was Hayden Rucci and it was Jack Pugh. And then obviously some of the younger guys as well. You mentioned Seagreaves, big guy I'm a fan of is Angel Toombs. I think he's got every, everything athletically that he, uh, that is possible. You could ha- want to have in a tight end. He's there as well. And then obviously you have the true freshman in Tucker Ashcraft, but it is a very, very light room on experience, as you said, outside of, you know, Hayden Rucci. Yeah. Phil Longo, uh, we should mention, we had the opportunity to talk to Longo Trestle and Luke Fickle and about 17 players or so on Tuesday during the team's local media day. And one of the things Longo said when he was asked about the tight ends is, he thought there were three players that were in the mix to get the majority of the reps. It was, as you said, Pew, Rucci, and Nowakowski. And the thing that he said was Nowakowski and Pew were the best uh, all-around tight ends, or in terms of, he called it the total package, but specifically Nowakowski, who ended spring at the top of that group based on how Longo described it. And 
The first tight end up at practice on Wednesday, if you want to judge by that, was Noah Kowski. He got significant reps with the first team group. He's a converted, a, a converted fullback, obviously has a lot of versatility, but is yet to have a pass reception. Uh, and so that is a role that is going to be new for him. And I think something that Wisconsin is clearly looking to utilize. Phil Longo, we know the success that he's had with tight ends, but it's it's a little bit different this season with that group but I, I do think Noah Kowski has started to emerge a little bit as someone that you're going to see on the field getting heavy reps okay I'm a, I'm a big Jack Pugh guy just because of the athletic ability that he has but in, in terms of inside outside Riley Nowakowski to this point has shown a little bit more just in practice but in the games none of these guys outside of Rucci have really played meaningful reps uh in the positions that they're in we know that Riley got some playing time at fullback last year but in the position that he's in right now especially in this new offense there's not a ton of experience there so really excited to see how that plays out but the more um eye-catching position or the eye-catching players for me today were at wide receiver and specifically it's the same guys that that showed up in the in uh, spring Will Pauling you know um Skylar Bell a little bit Chim Ray DK but really the guy that jumps out and just hits you because he's big and because he uh, we didn't get to see him in the spring was Bryson Green, the transfer out of Oklahoma State on the field, taking part in real team drills for the first time since he's been at Wisconsin, at least for practices that we've seen. And he looked the part. It was worth the wait. I mean, that I think, you know, when Phil Longo talked about him on uh, Tuesday about how physical he is and how he may be the most physical wide receiver they have, that played out. That certainly played out on on uh, Wednesday when we got to see him. He he. If there's a 50-50 ball and he can shield, it's a tough it's tough for the DBs to come through him. And we know what he did at Oklahoma State: 50-50 ball in the end zone, really tough red zone target. Probably not going to run by you, but uh, I think he's going to have a huge huge impact on this team to start camp. He was behind C.J. Williams on the right side uh, with the second team offense, but. I, you know, they're going to play six guys and, and Bryson Green is going to have uh, a year, I think. The number one attribute you hear when you ask a question about Bryson Green is that physicality. It's what Longo talked about. It's what quarterback Tanner Mordecai mentioned when I asked him about it. And you're right. We saw it. It is different from the rest of the group. He had multiple catches where you kind of raise your eyebrow. There was a couple in particular, but one over the middle and, and granted, Right now, at least, he, he is working with the, for the most part, the number two offense, which means he's going against the two's defense. Sometimes that can be true freshman corners, but he was one-on-one -on -one over the middle with a, one of the freshman DBs kind of draped all over him, and he showed that physicality by being able to stay focused, rip the ball into his grasp, and make sure that nobody else was going to get it. He had several other catches down the sideline, being able to adjust on a tipped ball, and so Wisconsin – has been looking for a number, well, a sixth wide receiver. He is not the number six wide receiver. When it's all said and done, I mean, he may very well be a starter. I know that this staff viewed the five that they had already, and the, the other one that we didn't mention was Keontes Lewis. They considered them all to be starters, even though you had Bell and Lewis by the end of spring working with the second team. But Green is an exceptional talent. You can see why he put up the numbers that he did at Oklahoma State. He is at least what he's done in college, one of the most accomplished wide receivers that Wisconsin has on this roster. So to have him fully healthy, I think there is a lot of reason for excitement with this wide receiver room, and there's no reason to be deterred by that after this first practice because Green certainly looks like the real deal. Like you just never knew going in spring whether, you know, there was a lot of talk about him. 
and we know what we saw on tape from him at Oklahoma State. Which, like, I gotta, I kind of want to see this. What's what's this going to look like? I mean, he was at the end of lines throughout spring. Didn't take part, you know, in any team drills and nothing really full speed. To see him today, as I said before, kind of worth the wait to to see what he's going to bring to this offense. He is a different type of body than um, pretty much anybody else on the roster right now. I mean, he's six foot. I accidentally listed him at six two. He's six foot two fifteen. And he looks all the part of 215. And so I'm, hmm, I'm tr- someone would ask me on Twitter a potential like comparison. And I don't necessarily know that there is one, like in, in terms of a guy that's been at Wisconsin. I know someone uh, maybe mentioned Quintez Cephas. He doesn't, Quint- I don't think he has the ability to get over the top like Quintez Cephas. Like Quintez, the, as good of a route runner as he was, like a, a, what he did at the line to get himself free, a lot of quickness. And, you know, ability to separate, especially from Minnesota linebackers in the snow. But I don't know. I don't know know that Bryson Green has that necessarily. But I, I think he's ball wise and, and ability to go and get it is right there with anybody Wisconsin has had based on what I saw in film of at Oklahoma State and what I saw today. Yeah, I, I certainly would want to see more, especially when we get into padded practices, because we should also mention these first few practices. Uh, they're not wearing pads. Uh, it, it's shorts. They're wearing helmets, but it's going to ramp up a whole lot more. So I, maybe, I, maybe he'll showcase. Phys- we're still pretty oh, physical. Oh, right? absolutely. I mean, like, but they got but spiders in- on like they got spider pads on there. They're they're there was some physicalness to it. We got some, we got some bang, bang uh, plays uh, on passes and that type of stuff. So it's not like it's completely just, you know, two hand touch stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm not suggesting that it, it was. And I think what I'm, I'm saying is just making maybe more concrete determinations on what this guy can do. And maybe he gets more one reps and we can actually see him against the one DBs and more 11 on 11. So, but yes, starting out, and maybe some of it is just that intrigue factor because we'd seen the other five. He was the one that stood out the most to me. And I think it it has an opportunity to, this wide receiver group has an opportunity to be really, really good. Now it remains to be seen how consistently the ball is delivered in the right spots and how often Wisconsin can get those big plays. But Bryson Green certainly has advertised. And I thought it was interesting when I asked Longo about him on Tuesday, one of the things that he mentioned, I hadn't really thought about this, he recruited him to three different schools. When Longo was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Ole Miss, Ole Miss offered Bryson a scholarship. This was way back in June 2018. Then Longo went to North Carolina, and that next spring in 2019, they offered Bryson a scholarship again. And Longo said the only reason that they didn't get him to either of those schools is that he and his twin brother Blaine wanted to play together. And there was only one scholarship available at those programs, at least according to Longo. And so the twin brothers ended up at Oklahoma State. So for Longo, he called this kind of a full circle moment. This is somebody that he obviously has been enamored with for quite some time. And now we're finally getting to see why. So the wide receivers were part of the conversation. The quarterbacks, obviously, are also another part of this conversation. And day one, I'm not going to say that it was, I was blown away um, by anything we saw uh, from the quarterbacks again, first day, but I don't, there weren't a ton of big plays. I know that uh, Will Pauling and one-on-ones had some, had some balls down the field, but in terms of the team drills and the Skelly, it wasn't like an overwhelming day by any of the, any of the quarterbacks. I thought of the quarterbacks that actually got significant reps, which would be Tanner Mordecai and, and Braden Locke and a little bit of, a little bit of Miles Burkett, who is now essentially the number three with 
uh, Marshall Howe no longer around. I thought Braden Locke probably struggled the, the most of those three. Um, but again, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take this and say day one, oh my God, what's going on? Just like we're not going to crown anybody for for being good. Yeah, Braden, I think, was uncharacteristically out of rhythm and off target based on what we saw in those 15 spring practices. For the most part, he was excellent. Again, that was with the number two offense working against number two DBs, but he, he seemed to consistently put the ball in the right spots. We talked all about his intelligence. He's essentially another coach on the field out there, but there were at least three occasions where I, I had noted balls that were off the mark two he threw behind a receiver another one he kind of underthrew, and Preston Zachman intercepted it yes it is just one practice and I, I certainly expect him and everybody else to get into a better rhythm but there weren't a ton of big plays I know Chimray DK had a nice catch it was about 40 yards stuck his hands out and it just dropped right into the bucket from from Tanner Mordecai didn't see any plays where you know Mordecai necessarily beat himself I think there were obviously a couple throws that both those guys would have wanted back but yeah, I don't think either one kind of blew you away. Um, and I also think that it's, it is noteworthy that Miles Burkett is now the number three quarterback after Marshall Howe exited spring as the number three guy wanted an opportunity to play somewhere, ended up going to Yale. We didn't see Oklahoma transfer Nick Evers in a, a live 11 on 11 team rep. It was all Miles Burkett. So um, it's just interesting how, how that part of the quarterback pecking order has, has shaped up, but one and two, it's the same as what we saw in the spring. It was, and Nick Evers did get some opportunities after practice with some of the young guys and uh, uncorked a 50 yard ball, like flat footed to the opposite corner. I mean, the dudes, there's no issues whatsoever with the physical aspects of what Nick Evers brings to the table. I think it's just, again, as we talked about in the spring, coming along in other aspects, but um, physically he's the most gifted of the guys in that room right now, for sure. We'll see how tomorrow goes. Um, the offensive line, while some things have changed, a lot of things have not. Uh, the first team offensive line, like it was through much of the spring had Jack Nelson at left tackle and it was Joe Heber at left guard and, and uh, Tanner Bordellini at center and Michael Furtney at right guard and Riley Malman at right tackle. The big, uh, I don't even call it big news, um, but the big thing I would point out is that we were told that Jake Renfro was going to be limited going into fall camp or uh, yeah, into, into fall camp because he's still coming back from that that injury. He was with the twos today as the number two center um, working behind Tanner Bordellini. And he it wasn't that he was completely limited, not taking part in any physical aspects of practice. He was now when they went to full team, he was not a part of that. But um, what do you think that says? I think it's a big step. He's further ahead than I thought he was going to be based on what we had heard. That's great news for Renfro and the Badgers, because when he is fully healthy, the expectation is that he will be the starting center. He was the number one center for Wisconsin through the first four practices in the spring before he suffered what Luke Fickle said was a, a stress fracture in his leg. So Tanner, you and I were talking to Tanner Bordellini at the local media day, and he said that he he expected to start the spring as the center, but it was only a matter of time until Renfro came along and would take that job, presumably moving Bordellini back to guard. So it's an encouraging sign for Wisconsin, and that was certainly notable. Also thought it was notable that we at least saw Trey Weta get some reps with the first-team offense at left guard in place of Joe Huber, I think, pretty clearly, and we saw this in the spring as well. You could you could say that that top seven, you have a good idea. If Jake Renfro is healthy, you've got Huber, you've got uh, Wedig, and then 
can a number eight work his way in? Can a Joe Brunner, someone like that to help give Wisconsin the seven or eight is that is needed to play in the subtempo system. But for day one, encouraging. For sure. Um, we also got to see some true freshmen for the first time. And I thought he stood out just walking out of the field. Uh, Amari Snowden, he is 6'3". Someone was trying to tell me he was 6'4 yesterday. I guess that's listed a possibility. At He's listed at 6'4 on the roster, 199. I couldn't believe it. So he is he is very tall. He stands out like he made. And Alex Smith isn't short. Alex Smith is probably like 5'11", almost six foot. He made Alex Smith look like he was taking him to kindergarten uh, when they ran out on the field today, uh, which is, not an, again, not a knock on, on uh, Alex Smith. It's the fact that Mari Snowden is every bit of the uh, size that we all thought he was coming in. And he looks and feels and moves like a guy much smaller than that. So I think that is probably very notable. He didn't, it's not like he got any reps. I mean, I, they were very far, far down uh, the, the, the depth chart when they were going through it, but I, he, he looks, he looks the part. We'll see if everything comes together for him quickly, but he certainly looks the part of a, uh, uh, a Luke fickle. And I guess uh, Mike Trussell cornerback. He is the freshman to me that is the most intriguing because of his skill set. It's so unique, and you certainly – you don't see this at Wisconsin. I don't know how many other places where you see this, but that length and fluidity is incredible. And he's obviously betting on himself here. I know we talked about this over the summer, but he was a left-handed pitcher who had pinpoint control, was dominant at the high school level, could throw up to 93 miles an hour. Those kinds of guys don't grow on trees. And he gave that up to pursue football because he believes in Luke Fickle and what his future can be at this level. Yes, he was running reps with the third team defense, but there were two plays in particular. And, and I don't think you see this very often with a true freshman on his very first college practice that you kind of go, wow, especially at, as a DB. He, he, he intercepted kind of an underthrown ball. And, and you can say, you know, so what it was it was down the field it wasn't like it was a live 11 on 11 rep but it was good awareness and the other play that stood out to me was late in the practice he was near the line of scrimmage miles burkett dropped back and amari is just so long that all he did was put his hands up like this and he batted the ball out of the air now it happened to bounce right back to burkett who went past the line of scrimmage for a gain but just stuff like that you don't normally see out of a corner. And I think those are the things that can make him a difference maker. I'm not saying it's going to happen right away. Obviously, Wisconsin went to the transfer portal to get experienced guys, which I know we'll talk about. But Snowden to me is just so intriguing. And you could see why people are so high on him just from the first practice of his college career. Yep, for sure. Uh, you mentioned the the guys that are there in front of him at, at this point, or maybe not even in front of him, but guys that they brought in that are expected to be in front of him. So they already have, They we talked about Alex Smith. We talked about Ricardo Holman, or maybe we didn't. Ricardo still looks good. <laughs> he kind of picked up where he left off in the spring. Um, and then you have Jason Matry on the inside at, at the slot. So those are your starting corners. But behind them, it was kind of a rotation, especially on the outside, with uh, the two true freshmen that you mentioned before, Jonas Taclona and Jace Arnold. And then, obviously, what they brought in with uh, Nizir Forkarine and um, Michael Mack made his appearance today. Um <laughs> Uh, they had not announced his name at all, uh, but he was on the roster and he was out there. So those two kind of ran together and then it was uh, the true freshman running together. I don't know exactly what that is going to look like. Um, I think a couple of times I had a welcome to big 10 moments um, did the, the two transfers, but that's, that's to be expected. 
yeah, I, I, nothing obviously solidified there. They're both those guys who are transfers are going to get a bunch of opportunities and, and they are still rotating through it in the second team defense in general, and even parts of the first team defense, but they didn't bring those guys in to sit for Curine, a division two all American at grand Valley state. I thought it was interesting to see what I think was maybe the first rep that he got in practice. It was a one-on-one. So the wide receivers go up against the DBs. It was a red zone. So they put the ball at the five yard line and granted there's all the space in the world to work with because there's no other DBs coming over to help or linebackers, but Pauling put a really nice move on him and was able to, to catch a touchdown pass that drew a lot of oohs and ahs from teammates. Um, that's kind of talent. I can't imagine you see on a regular basis at the division two level, even though it was very good football at division two level. But I, I think he fully expects Forkering does to, to be in that rotation on the outside. And I think Michael Mack too. I mean, they didn't bring him here to sit again. These are guys with experience, but I was impressed in the spring by Jace Arnold and Jonas Duclona, and those guys certainly aren't going to go away. So those would be the players, at least at this point, that I think are are sort of in the running here. And a, a name that we won't be seeing who was kind of a, a spring and fall practice warrior over the years, Amon Williams, who finished spring practice as the number two slot corner, uh, is no longer on the roster along with a number of other walk-ons. A little bit surprised in there uh how much how much time he put into this it's not like he's a first or second year guy he had been he had been around for quite some time and he was all spring like i mean he and i'm not saying the entire spring just all all dash all all spring that's that was who he was i mean he showed up all the time made some big time plays gave up some big time plays but he was going to make it interesting and he was a talker too. So going to miss Amon Williams. Uh, the Amon Williams era uh, comes to an end. It's unfortunate. Let's run through a few more of these positions here. Uh, defensive line, a lot of Rodas Johnson, a lot of uh, James Thompson Jr., a little bit of Isaiah Mullins. Also got to see the second group, Gio Piaz and Kurt Neal. Uh, what'd you see along there? A lot of rotations. Uh, nothing really appeared set. Uh, obviously, Rodas and James Thompson are going to be key playmakers, as is Isaiah Mullins. But Kurt Neal, like you said, getting a lot of run. Gio Paez, who's now listed as a defensive end on the roster after being listed as a nose guard. I don't know whether that really matters because it's not like he's playing a different spot. But I think those are the guys that, that you're going to see a lot of. And Ben Barton was getting a significant run, too, as it, with the reserves, at least. So, I mean, there is a rotation. Didn't see... Darian Varner taking part in the team drills at this point, still waiting to see what it is that he'll be able to provide when he can. I know there are very high hopes for him. That to me is still the position group that I think Wisconsin needs to shore up the most in terms of knowing what you have depth wise, who you're going to be able to lean on, especially with the reserves, because they need to be more than space eaters. They've got to be impact playmakers. I know we say that every year, but I think it's even more important coming off a season where you're losing Keanu Benton, which is something that defensive coordinator Mike Tressel mentioned. He wants to figure out, and the, this is the same for all the other positions, but he called it, who are the one A's and who are the one B's? He doesn't really consider it first team, second team, because the defense, just like the offense, wants to have 22 players that it can rely on in a game. So if you are a so-called one B, they consider you to be like a starter. And I think they're still trying to figure that out on the defensive line. For sure. Uh, outside linebacker wise, again, I think it's going to be a situation where it's situational, a situation where it's situational. Uh, but today with the first group, for the most part, was Daryl Peterson and um, TJ Bowlers. 
The first rep was Daryl Peterson and TJ Bowlers. I think it might depend on the package. I did see a lot of Peterson and CJ Getz as well with the first team group. Getz also got some second team reps with Jeff Petrowski. So all those guys, I think, are going to have an opportunity to contribute. Caden Johnson, it seemed like, was maybe in the next in line category, just based on day one, he lined up oftentimes with Marty Stry, some sometimes with the second team group, sometimes with the threes, but much like we're talking about with the defensive line where you lose Keanu Benton, you lost Nick Herbig who has been a big time playmaker for Wisconsin for three seasons. And who's going to step up to be one of those game changing type of players. Another question that Mike Dressel had going into fall camp. So those are the guys that they're working with right now. How about TJ bowlers coming into fall camp listed at 270 pounds? The, the funny part of this is slight inside baseball, but we get the roster and everything's fine, but they've crossed out and, and rewritten in pen. He was accidentally listed at 251 pounds, which is what he was at one time before he had gone up to 268. Now he's at 270. I didn't know outside linebackers could come that big, uh, but TJ bowlers, big, big boy. He is. And the funny, even further, I guess, inside baseball is that it was Brady Collins that had to call, call them and tell them exactly. He had like a great name for him, uh, for, for TJ bowlers and what he is, but, um, you know, obviously Brady Collins is, is proud of what he's done with, with, with TJ bowler. So he probably wants to get every little last uh, pound out of, uh, uh, on that roster. And, and cause he still doesn't, doesn't look 270. He looks big, but he doesn't look 270. So, uh, there's that inside linebacker, a lot of, you know, Jake Cheney and Muma Chong Meta and Jordan Turner and Tate Grass. I mean, those are your top four. Um, do you think that they're punished? I don't, I don't think they are. I know that there was some mention of it, you know, that Jay, that uh, Jordan Turner is getting punished a little bit for some of the, uh, for the OWI stuff and where he, where he's at in the pecking order. I didn't necessarily see that though. It's pure speculation because on Wednesday, reporters didn't have an opportunity to talk to anybody after practice, won't have that opportunity on Thursday either, and we may not get a, an answer no matter what. It's noteworthy to me because all of last season, the top group was Muma, Jong Meta, and Jordan Turner. Turner finished second on the team in tackles. He was the MVP defensively in that guaranteed rate bowl game, and now all of a sudden, Jake Cheney is taking the majority of the one reps. Now, Turner did take some one reps with Muma. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's coincidental or not, but Turner's going to have a big role. He's already shown what he can do on the field. If anything, it certainly speaks a lot to what they think about Jake Cheney and Trestle has been praising him since the spring when he said that he considered him to essentially be a starter. They've got three inside linebackers that they believe are starters, even if that means sometimes you can only have two on the field. There might be some situations where all three are on the field based on the, the defenses that Trestle can run. But it's a good top three group. Tate Grass, as you said, also working in that, that second team group. But those are the players that you should expect to see competing for reps. For sure. How many times you get to bring up that Jordan Turner won the MVP of the guaranteed rate bowl when it was you that had the vote? Uh, I don't think I voted for him is the thing. I didn't, actually. And it wasn't just my vote. Somehow they handed me the paper and somehow I was responsible for all the media to place the vote. I didn't vote for him. I think, and it, nobody cares. I think I might've voted for a defensive player on Oklahoma state, but they're not going to name an MVP for someone on a losing team. So they probably rightly decided that it should go to someone from the Badgers. So yeah, I got nothing to do with it. All right. But again, you, you, you bring it up like it's something that. Well, it's the last this game. Was, this was me. This it is what me. I did. I'm just pointing and out now that I'm gonna point, good season. And now, closed I'm gonna it point it out, and now I'm going to point it out every time that I have an opportunity to do it because I wrote his name in. <laughs>
He closed it on a high note, and now he's working with the twos. That's all I'm saying. I got you. I got you. Um, Finishing out the defense, safety. uh, I think it's going to be, again, uh, a really good rotation back there. I think they got a bunch of guys could start. Travion Blaylock and Kamoe Latu and Hunter Wohler and, and Austin Brown. Like all four of those guys, you could look and be like, I'd be okay with them playing a ton of football for Wisconsin this fall. Yeah, the ones for the most part during day one of fall camp were Hunter Wohler and Travion Blaylock, but we saw a lot to get plenty of snaps last season, plenty of starts, and a lot of one reps in the spring as well. And we've talked about Austin Brown before, the skill set that he has. And I don't want to forget about Preston Zachman because we we haven't heard a lot from him. He did make an interception on day one, and the more opportunities that he gets, I think the better he is. This is a kid who came in as a linebacker who's transitioned to play at safety. Um, Those are the guys that moving forward, I think you're going to be seeing competing for time. Hunter, there's a new punter in camp. It is Atticus Bertrams, who was, yeah, he's a lefty. And it's a little bit of, you know, the Australian rules uh, uh, punting style. And we got to see a little bit of it today. And, you know, it was what it was. It was all right. It was fine. It was day one. I mean, what I wrote in my practice recap is that Jack Van Dyke handled the first reps, Atticus handled the second, and Atticus is going to have to beat out Jack Van Dyke for this job. Like sometimes you see a kicker, I don't know, let's say his name's Vito Calvaruso, and you just become intoxicated with his leg strength, and you just assume he's going to be the guy. Now, it doesn't always work out. Um, I, I I think day one, it, it is not clear cut to me, uh, but they didn't bring him in on scholarship to not have every opportunity to win this job. What he does have going for him, for him, obviously, is that Luke Fickle likes that Aussie-style rollout. That's what he specializes in. He's an Australian, and he comes from Pro Kick Australia. Luke Fickle had two incredibly talented, successful college punters at Cincinnati who came from Pro Kick, so there's probably a lot of similarities there, but I think it might take a little time to acclimate uh, and see where things go from there. And it's it's not like we're watching like the last day of the spring practice where it's all punting and special teams heavy. They get a handful of reps. And I think the more reps that he gets, the better he'll be. Cause this is a guy that's worth pointing out that these kinds of opportunities in this setting haven't been frequent for him. He was signed in the 2022 class with USC, but never made it on campus because he had a, a back injury. So only in the last maybe six, seven months, was he really working his way back? And I think there's still a little, t- a little ways to go here, obviously before the opener. There definitely is. I do think the thing I do like about him is that, um, you know, when he's punting because they roll left instead of rolling right. So you don't even have to worry about the numbers because the numbers sometimes can be a little, little tricky up there. I mean, you got a, you got a 22, you got a 28, obviously 22 is about eight feet taller than 28, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just a little bit easier, a little bit easier to decipher who's who when they're punting. Uh, Because you're going left. So uh, one position we did not go over, we'll get to real quickly here before we get into a few other things that uh, are going on uh, in college football and and Wisconsin related. Running back, uh, Braylon Allen, Ches Malusi. And then it's going to (laughs) be it, it, right? I mean, it's it's a shrug. It's a shrug. I mean, that's that's what it is because... And Phil Longo said as much. I mean, you got the top two and then it's the other guys. And right now it's Jackson Aker. It's it's Katie Akamelli. And, you know, uh, Grover Bordelotti, like those are the names that are that you're that you're talking about for that third spot. Those are the three that Longo specifically mentioned. It's not like it's a large running back room. There's not a lot of scholarship guys this season. I don't know how often we'll see a number three. You'll probably really only be 
forced into a situation to use them if either Chez or Braylon gets hurt, which a lot, uh, certainly the Badgers and their fans hope doesn't happen. I feel like and this happened a lot in the spring. People ask a lot of questions about the running backs and it can be tough to decipher because you, you don't know what a carry means when they, they can't get brought to the ground. But both those guys look very fast, very physical. Obviously, Braylon continues to put on weight, comes into fall camp at 245 pounds, looks every bit of it. You're going to see those guys on the field at the same time together. Um, I, I think that's really a fascinating new wrinkle. And those are the ones that they're going to go with, which we talked about on the previous show. In terms of number three, to me, it still feels wide open. It's not like when they went to the second team offense or even the threes, there was one go-to guy every time. They each bring a little bit different skill set. All three of them can catch passes out of the backfield. I feel like I would be shocked if it wasn't Jackson Aker just because of his versatility and the experience that he got at fullback. But Yakimelli is somebody that I think provides some, some power and strength as well who's still transitioning to that position. But again, it's still up in the air, and, and the first practice didn't determine anything. So Wisconsin will be back on the field on Thursday for the second practice down in Platteville. We'll be there, and then I'll come back and give you a little bit of a recap, and then um, we'll go from there. Uh, before we get into what else is happening at Wisconsin and, and in college football and around the Big Ten, I uh, wanted to talk to you about Homefield. Homefield is uh, a new partner here on the camp. They have uh, vintage uh, apparel, uh, vintage college apparel, I should say, that is just kind of remarkable to, to me. I, we talked about it in the last episode, but they just have some ridiculous shirts that I honestly would love to be wearing um, all the time. Uh, I think you guys will as well. So check them out, homefieldapparel.com. There's this one shirt says uh, it's like when you say Wisconsin, you've said it all. And it's got a little old school um, helmet on it. A lot of these designs are designed from our, our, our throwbacks to what was designed back when, um, you know, the seventies, eighties, some of the stuff goes back to the sixties, even earlier than that. So check it out. Homefield.com. You can get 15% off your first purchase. Uh, if you use the promo code camp 23, again, that's uh, homefieldapparel.com. All right, changing gears here to recruiting. Wisconsin landed its second recruit in the 2025 class uh, while we were at practice. His name is Remington Moss. The last name, I mean, it's a very common last name, so it's if it sounds familiar, it probably should because you probably know somebody in your life that uh, has last name last name Moss, but it is a, a legacy to an extent here. Uh, Remington Moss, the cousin of the late Brent Moss, who was obviously a part of Wisconsin's 1993 Big Ten Championship team. He was the Offensive Player of the Year in the conference that that year for Wisconsin. Um, so his cousin, his cousin is a slightly bigger than he is height-wise. His cousin is 6'2", about 175, from Virginia, and he commits to Wisconsin, uh, their second commit, as I said, in the class. What is, what is Remington Moss bringing to the table, Jesse, outside of being 6'2", and that does that being the desired height for everybody that comes into Wisconsin's program these days. Right. Well, that's a part of it is obviously, as we've discussed since this new staff came in, one of the things they clearly value is, is length at defensive back for as much as we've been talking about someone like Amari Snowden, there are multiple guys that have been recruited that have that type of skill set. He's someone who earned nearly 30 scholarship offers, several from big time programs. He took a lot of visits recently. I think, this is another win, obviously, for the recruiting department, but one of the things that they did is this is directly coming off a weekend that was organized called this Bucky's Barbecue event. Um, a lot of other schools do something similar, and we mentioned this on the last show, but he was one of 11 
prospects in the 2025 class that was on campus, one of those high priority targets. And it's an event that included a lot of fun, but it also kept Wisconsin top of mind for a lot of these guys. This is really early to start getting 2025 prospects. The Badgers previously got Landon Locke, the quarterback, the younger brother of Braden Locke, and now Moss is the second here. And so uh, it may be a while until they get the third because they don't have to commit for a long time, but this certainly speaks to the relationship that this new staff was able to build. And I think it's interesting because Moss actually earned a scholarship offer from Wisconsin's previous staff the last week of November kind of a busy time for the program it was right before Luke Fickle got hired the the entire staff turned over and so when Moss came back it was a totally different deal so it's it speaks a lot to how interested he was in Wisconsin clearly and how much this staff valued him so now the Badgers have commit number two in 2025. Is it weird that he doesn't have a ranking despite all those offers? A little bit but I'm not in the ranking business the 27 offers there there's some smaller mid-majors, but there are a lot of power five and bigger schools. And some of it may just come down to it's pretty early in the cycle. Again, for 2025 kids, it's kind of understandable. Uh, once people can evaluate the film and maybe see him at camps or even see the start of his junior season, which is right around the corner, then those star rankings start to trickle out. Yeah, for sure. Um, one more thing before we get out of here, and that is uh, the news that broke as I was driving home. The Big Ten is looking into adding more teams to the conference. I should say not looking into, exploring, exploring because of the consistent change and the consistent revolving of realignment and what's going on with the Pac-9 right now, um, you know, in terms of what's going to happen with Arizona, what's going to happen with Arizona State, what's going to happen with Utah, and whether they're going to end up in the Big 12. And so the Big Ten and new commissioner Tony Petiti has to go and decide, you know, what are you going to do? You can't just sit back and, you know, be not proactive. I think you have to be proactive in getting, uh, looking into these schools and what fits in the schools. It was con that they, that uh, the big 10 reportedly is looking into is Washington and Oregon, which is not unsurprising if they wanted to go to 18 and if they wanted to go to 20, potentially Cal and Stanford. When you bring in USC and UCLA, it opens the door for anything to be possible. So I'm not shocked. We've been moving toward these so-called super conferences for some time. The SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, I think it's hilarious that they even put a number behind either of those conferences uh, when they might have be twice the size in the end or something close to it. But uh, it's hard for me to keep track, to be honest. I'm sort of of the mindset of uh, just wake me up when a decision is made. We've got a 2023 schedule to play. We know the 2024 schedule and who's going to be in. And um, this is college football now. I got, I understand that point of view, and I totally kind of agree with it. Like, I just, I just want it to be over. But I want it to happen quick, right? Like, I don't want this to play out. It's not about wake me up when it's over. It's just, let's go. This is going to go. This is going to happen. Let's not drag it out over years and years and years. And that's kind of what it's been. It's been a little bit, you know, and I, I think the move of, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, the SEC jump started all of this and that's completely fine. More people need to do it. Arizona, Arizona state, Utah, Utah, jump out of the pac 12, get to the big 12 and let's go Washington, Oregon. If they want to bring Cal and Stanford, I guess. I mean, I, the thing about it is, is money wise. Like how do you, they're not going to get the full 70 million, right? And how much more are the TV networks going to pay for those four schools? Probably not a, a ton. Um, Oregon, maybe, but it, but it's not like a huge market by any stretch. In Washington, Seattle, I mean, I, you know, 
to an extent, but like I, there's not going to be a ton of money. And if they do come in, they're not going to get the full allotments. Kind of be like what Maryland and Rutgers had to go through when they first came in, where they had to not get that full allotment for a long stretch. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's interesting. It's also hurry up and let's make it happen because uh, I just want to get to the end of this entirety and let's just, just go full, just go full 24 teams. Let's just do it. 24 teams here, 24 teams in the SEC. I don't really care about the big 12. Those teams can obviously split up and let's just make it like the NFL. You have a conference, conference, playoff, playoff, make it happen. If we're going to go crazy, can we just move to European soccer style where we have relegation? Like if you're going to have that many teams, you should have to earn the right to be in that conference. I know that's never going to happen, but let's make it fun with something on the line here. Do you think Northwestern would be up for that? I don't think they would be. Not like, right now. There are like certain there's there are certain schools in these conferences right now that don't belong. Uh, Northwestern is one that does not belong. I'm, I'm talking about football. Other other. Well, they don't really belong in any sport right now with some of the stuff they've got going on across the. It feels like across the entirety of their athletic department, but football wise, they don't belong. Vanderbilt doesn't belong. Like you have some schools that are just going to come along for the ride that probably don't necessarily deserve to be there, but what it, it, it is, what it is. If this had happened in the eighties, Wisconsin would be a team that did not deserve to be there. So uh, it's all cyclical and we'll see if it plays out any different, but um, yeah, that's our episode. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow, breaking down uh, practice number two down in Platteville. And then Jesse will rejoin me here in, uh, on uh, is it Friday or Saturday. We'll figure it out. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. Talk soon. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.